What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by the Washington Post's Samantha Pell, who covers the Washington Capitals, a very good professional hockey team that you may have heard of. Samantha, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I am. I'm good. It's gloomy out here in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's raining. It's dreary. It makes sense based on the 24 hours that I've had regarding this podcast. So for folks who are wondering why there's been nothing on my feed for 24 hours, it's because, um, as we were discussing before we started recording, the uh, it the it's 2020 and the podcasting gods have uh, unfortunately turned against me momentarily. <laughs> You know, all good things, right? <laughs> all good things, all good things. Um, Samantha, how have you uh, spent your your off season? How have you uh, de- how have you dealt with a lack of capitals action? Yeah, it's been kind of crazy, right? Like we had that first initial pause in March, and I think everyone was kind of like, okay, maybe they'll be off for a couple weeks. It can't be that long, right? Um, and then obviously everyone saw how that went. The you know the playoffs happened. I was lucky enough to go to Toronto and be able to, you know, cover the Capitals there. Obviously, they were out a little bit earlier than I think most people expected there in the first round. But after that, you know, it's been mostly, we had the draft, we had free agency, we had a couple news items then. But ever since that point, I mean, it's been pretty quiet. So just trying to keep myself occupied, you know, try to get some relaxation in there, but also, you know, keeping up with the Caps and what they're doing. And hopefully we get a new season right around the corner. But uh, yeah, things are looking, I guess, iffy right now. I was going to say, do you like how does that work? Because if they do a, uh, <laughs> have they even really decided where they're going to hold the season? Like, what if what is the latest on what their their plan is? Yeah, you know, it's been sort of back and forth. I think initially a lot of people were saying, okay, well, there's no way they can play in home arenas. Like, there's just way too many teams. The travel would be too crazy. And then at that switched into, oh no, definitely they're going to do home arenas. They, you know, it just makes more sense. The teams are more comfortable that way. Then it switched to maybe they'll do divisional hubs. You know, the NHL is already going to be doing a temporary division realignment. So why not kind of put these teams in temporary small hubs to kind of keep travel down to maybe mitigate some of that? And I think the latest again today was that the NHL is exploring that hub idea again, just because the coronavirus cases are surging, they're getting higher. They don't know exactly how to control that. Maybe the NHL opens the season, you know, in hubs and then switches to home arenas. But I think everything is still on the table at this point. I know. The NHL and PA are still in talks this week. They would hope to try to figure things out by the end of the week, but it's getting pretty close to this talked about mid-January start date. I love the Winter Classic idea. <laughs> Just everybody playing outdoors all the <laughs> yes. time. That is what I think they should go with. If you do that, like everything should be outside. That is that is what I would do. You know, it's kind of crazy that, you know, I think a report came out a couple of weeks ago that some teams were actually looking at playing, you know, all of their home games outdoors, right? Yeah. 
And, you know, in theory, that'd be great. That'd be so fun. It'd be really cool. But then again, you think about it like financial, can they actually do that? How does the logistics for all that work out? Um, so that one seems like kind of a long shot, but I mean, just even some of those big events at the NHL called hold this season, um, I think would really help the league would help viewership, but just logistics of it all in a pandemic. I mean, that's rough. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in terms of the capitals, um, one of the biggest storylines going into this year seems to be the goalie situation. Um, Lundquist obviously released by the Rangers after a really long, great career there. Um, he is now in DC, but there's also Ilya Samsonov in DC. Um, in your estimation, based on what you know so far, who is going to be the number one goalie starting the season? You know, it's a pretty good question. I'm actually just doing a mailbag right now, and a lot of the questions are about the goaltending competition. Um, I think game one, I'm giving it to Samsonov. I think, is there a chance that Lundqvist comes in and can grab that game one starter spot from Samsonov? Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind that he can come into camp ready to prove something, ready to prove something to the people of New York, you know, by saying, hey, going to a new place, I'm ready, I'm still good, um, I got this. But I just think, you know, Samsonov was the anointed, you know, goaltender of the future for Washington. Mm-hmm. You know, he's kind of been here, they've always, they tabbed it for him last year. He was put in situations last year to test him, to get him ready for this moment. And my sense was that the Capitals were pretty comfortable giving Ilya Samsonov the reins this year. And Lundqvist kind of fell into their laps, right? I mean, he was bought out. He was available, had a bargain of a price. The Capitals were obviously cap-strapped, like always, in the offseason. So I think right now they're just happy that they have a vet and they have a rookie. But I think it's a look to training camp and that there's going to be a goaltending competition and we'll see who ends up on top. Were you at all surprised that Holtby left? No. I think um, everyone kind of knew from the beginning of the season that this is it. I think it was one of the biggest storylines just headed into it of, okay, this is probably going to be the last year that the core is actually together, right? Of Braden and Ovechkin and Backstrom. And, you know, Backstrom signed his extension midseason. So everyone knew that at that point it was kind of a, okay, well, it's kind of an either or situation. Backstrom or Holtby, who do they have the money for? Obviously, Backstrom was a major, major want for the Capitals and he wants to stay in Washington. So after that point, I think it only cemented it. And I think for Braden and what he wants to do in his career, you know, I think he just wanted another shot. And I don't think the Capitals were 100% ready to give Braden that contract that he probably deserves money-wise financially just because they didn't have the means. Were you surprised he ended up in Vancouver? I think Vancouver was definitely interesting. I think it was sort of floated, but seeing where all the other goalies went just before him, right, it was kind of like a domino effect. It's once this guy goes there, this guy goes there, then, okay, Braden, where are you going to end up? And there are kind of a few choices left, but... I think it's going to be a great spot for him. I think it's going to be super interesting to see him, you know, connected again with Jay Beagle and Nate Schmidt up there. Um, so I know a bunch of people in DC are kind of joking. It's like the it's like the Capitals of the West. So I think the Canucks will get a couple more fans. <laughs> the Capitals of the West. Um, yeah. Ovechkin's long term plan. What do you what do you think mm-hmm. it is? You know, I think for Ovechkin, he said it kind of time and. Time time again that he wants to stay in Washington to finish his career right he kind of envisions himself doing that um now what happens after in Washington I think he's mentioned he wants to go back and play in Russia but for a timetable I know he did an interview in Russia during the off season and he said you know it could be two three four five more years in Washington obviously that's a very big uh, spectrum of years yeah but you know he also wants to catch Gretzky and we look at so it you look at the too. lockout season that's very important to him, but 
at the end of the day, I mean, is that actually viable? You have the lockout. You're going to have this pandemic shortened season. Does he maybe reconsider plans now of, okay, maybe I just don't have enough time. Um, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, he's healthy. If he loves the game as much as we all know that he does, I think he's just going to play until he doesn't want to play anymore. Um, I'm pretty sure the capital is going to be 100% willing to give him whatever contract he wants to make sure that he stays. It's just getting that extension signed and when. Do you think there is a number of years before they're like, eh, we, we can't go this far? Like, is there a <laughs> it, internally? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it, it's going to match up with Backstrom's contract, right? Okay. He signed an extension in the season. So I think the way you look at it, probably four or five more years, I think, is that cutoff probably for Ovechkin just to be like, you know what, this sounds solid. We're going to see where it goes from there. And then, you know, again, they just hired a new head coach in Peter Laviola in the offseason. Obviously, they hired him to come in and get results immediately. And that's a two to three year window. So I would say any anything along those lines would be would make sense for Ovechkin in the capital. Are you are you at all worried about Washington's third line heading into the year? Um you know, yes and no. Obviously there's a there's a pretty big hole there. Um, on the third line. They kind of tried to fill it with Ilya Kovalchuk, you know, last season at the trade deadline. He came in and didn't really, I don't think, gave them the results they needed in the postseason at all. I mean, he didn't really show up. You had a Jacob Verana, who also had zero points in another postseason. He had zero points a couple years ago in their first round loss to Carolina as well. So I think the third line is obviously they want someone there. But again, financially, they don't have the means to get another player up there. So that might require putting in uh, a prospect, Daniel Strong, into the lineup. Chief, um, obviously... He just comes in. He did good in camp right before the uh, postseason run that the Caps had. Didn't end up making that roster. But um, I think that's probably one of the biggest question marks for this team. But it's something that I think they might just have to write out, honestly. When you're thinking about what McClellan needs to continue to do to add either through free agency and we know they're cash strapped or through trades (laughs) to get Washington really back into like the favorite category of contention. What, what would you suggest to him to do? Yeah, I think in the most ideal world, right. um, I think they're so crowded on in their blue line on D the right side is so crowded with their offseason additions. You know, they re-signed Brendan Dillon. They got a Justin Schultz. Uh, you also have a Nick Jensen. You have a Paul Adu. You have Trevor Van Riemsdyk. Um, You have prospects in Martin Saravari, Alex Alexius. So there are so many um, players on that blue line that I think maybe one of them could be up on the trade market. And if someone kind of bites there, then maybe they have the money to go ahead and sign a true 12 forward um, on the market. But again, I think that's going to be pretty hard just looking at the league and how we don't even have a start date yet and how, you know, a lot of these GMs are probably waiting for that to try to make moves. But I would think the team ideally would want a very strong 12 forward to add to the mix, maybe drop one of their defensemen. But then again, on the other hand, what if an injury happens on the D side and you need one of those big time players that maybe you were willing to trade away in the first place? Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, You mentioned Laviolette and he is a new coach um coming into a situation where he is expected like you said to win now this is an older core who i'll ask you about in a second but do you believe he is the right guy at the right time in dc i really do i think the capitals really did need a 
push, um, you know, after going out in the first round for the second year in a row after winning the cup. I mean, just that sense in and of itself is kind of crazy, right? Mm. Um, you win a cup, you still have Ovechkin, you still have Baxham, you still had Holfi, you still had, you know, the Tom Wilson, TJ Oshies of the world, Evgeny Kuznetsov, who we haven't even talked about, John Carlson. Um, there's just so many names that the Capitals have had the last two years since their cup run that have stayed together and they haven't gotten results. And, you know, I really think that this, you know, Peter's going to come in. He has the fiery, you know, personality and power to hopefully kind of kickstart a lot of these Capitals. And I think, the biggest interesting part for me is how he's going to deal with a lot of the different personalities in the room. Um, he's going to be coaching an Alex Ovechkin, uh, Henrik Lundqvist, uh, Kenny Kuznetsov, John Carlson, a lot of really big names, a lot of differing styles. So I think it is the right coach overall for the situation. And whether it is, you know, past two to three years, I'm not so sure, but definitely into the next season. I mean, I think this is the best they could hope for. This is going to be tough, but this is, uh, I, I, this is, um, let me think of how to phrase this. Um, this is going to okay. be how you, ha- like, I, I want to know how you're going to forecast this. This is going to be some, some really, uh, forward thinking, uh, strengths here. Okay. Okay. This is an aging core. We've established that. Ovechkin, 35, yeah. Backstrom, 33, Oshie, 34, mm-hmm. John Carlson, 31 this year. Who mm-hmm. ages the best of that group? Oh, God. Um, I mean, like, my gut instinct is, like, you can't pick against Alex Ovechkin, right? Mm. Like, this year, I, this year, I think a lot of us were saying, oh, like, can he even, you know, kind of stay at that same pace? Is he going to drop off at all? What if that conditioning isn't there? And then he goes ahead and goes on, like, a tear, um, scores a bunch of hat tricks, reaches 700 goals, just eclipses all these records, passes all these guys in the record book. And we're sitting back and thinking at the end of the year, I think a lot of us were saying, okay, like maybe he could catch Gretzky. Like maybe we were wrong at the beginning. Like maybe we underestimated him, but why would you ever underestimate Alex Ovechkin? Um, so I think that's like probably my gut instinct of that'd be just wrong to bet against him. Um, but I think that's what I'm going to go with. I think John Carlson is also probably right up there with them, if not right below him, just because, you know, he was a Norris Trophy runner-up this season. He does have all the skills needed to go ahead and win that Norris Trophy. It just wasn't his year. So I could see him also progressing and kind of being that leader on the blue line uh, for a long time. Interesting. Um, When you're looking at the season, and we know it's going to be weird, we know it's going to be strange. Um, do you see this? What, what what do you forecast? What are you predicting happens to the Washington Capitals this year? If this is what the roster looks like, this is where they're mm-hmm. heading. This it's shortened season. Like what, what is your gut instinct telling you about where the Capitals will go this year? Yeah, I think just the shortened season has me like in the middle of where the Capitals are going to end up is because they do tend to be pretty streaky in the sense that they played really well to start the season last year. Came off to a blazing start. Everyone was kind of hitting on all cylinders. And then the back half of the season, they just, I mean, the guy said it, they just kind of didn't get it. They couldn't come together. They weren't consistent. The game wasn't there. Um, so it was a completely different back half of the season than it was the first half. Um, so I'm interested to see if actually, you know, having a shortened season could maybe help the Caps in that sense, so that they can get off to a really good start again, kind of keep that momentum, and then that drop-off period never actually happens. Um, so I think they're going to finish pretty well in whatever division they'll end up in. It looks like they'll be in a modified East division. 
um, that looks pretty difficult. But I would say they're still up at the top of the pack, maybe not, you know, winning the president's trophy or anything like that. But it seems like the pieces they added and the ones that they kind of let go um, are going to keep this team in the running. I don't think it's 100%, you know, they're going to go out and win a Stanley Cup. I think, you know, the Colorado Avalanche probably has a way better chance at that, but definitely still in the mix, definitely still the same star power that they've had in the past. It's just how that can they kind of work their way through a shortened season and probably a lot of games in a small amount of time. All right. Samantha, what can we check out from you on the Washington Post this week and uh, leading up to the new season? Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of NHL updates where things kind of stand with the league and the players, but also answering a lot of mailbag questions right now. So probably a couple parts of, you know, talking about the goaltending situation, expansion draft, um, random, you know, player production predictions. So all of that and more up on the site in the next week or so. All right, Samantha, keep up the great work. Stay safe out there. And uh, I appreciate you making the time. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. All right, we're back on the Chase Songs Podcast. Jonathan Taylor Thomas talks Major League Baseball edition where John Taylor of Fangraphs, long time for the pod, here every Tuesday, but it's a Wednesday because of podcasting stuff, um, is roaming the streets of New York trying to find the right bodega to get his uh, whatever people get at bodegas. John, how are you? I was going to say, the, what is it, the two Diet Cokes and like a paper... T- what was even in that? I don't, that tweet <laughs> already feels like it was 15 years ago. That does feel like it was 15 years ago. You know what else feels like it was 15 years ago, John? The Boston Red Sox the being good. That was only two years ago, but yeah, you're right. It definitely feels like we're past a decade at this point. I'm not getting. That's the uh, only sympathy I'm getting. I'm, I'm giving you in regards to the Boston Red Sox in this podcast, John. Yeah, and I don't. I don't blame you because why? Why would you give me any more than that at this point? You know. You really don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. Um, no, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, I'm not, not going to argue that no Red Sox fan deserves anyone's sympathy. Well, on this podcast, we are going to review uh, the Boston Red Sox 2020. Um, but before we get into that, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get your perspective on major league baseball owners pushing to push the regular season back so they can maybe get fans in April and May with, uh, half the country vaccinated fingers crossed by then something like that. Are you, are you in favor of that? Do you think that's realistic? Because the players clearly want to have the full 162, get their money. This is just. To me, this already seems like something where, oh, more disconnect and more uh, strife between the owners and the players is on the horizon, it appears. Yeah, this is this is going to be a financial thing, because if you really do believe that Major League Baseball or Major League Baseball owners care even 2% about fan safety, about player safety, about personnel safety, and, and just want to wait for a vaccine so that everyone can play the game safely... You're, no, that's clearly that's clearly not a thing they care about. I think the World Series made that abundantly clear that for Major League Baseball, um, it's about the money. And yeah. when it comes to whatever they're planning with regards to the discussion they're going to have over when to start the season, because obviously if the season starts late, uh, or the season, better said, if, if MLB waits for, vac- for the vaccine to be become more readily available, to be become more 
um, readily accepted to be, you know, for more people to get vaccinated. Not only can they have fans back in the stands, which obviously is a revenue boost for owners and teams, but also a shorter season means less money to pay to players because they'll do a prorated schedule like they did last year. Which means obviously the players aren't going to want any part of that. So it is a money thing. It's going to be yet another bitter, angry fight between the league and the players because Major League Baseball at this point simply doesn't understand the concept of maybe not everything has to be about the financial incentive. Because the thing is, like, they could have a very, and this is, I imagine, how it'll play out, like, PR-wise, that MLB will go with the very simple and very straightforward, we just want everyone to be safe, and the safest thing we can do is wait for everyone to get vaccinated. Mm. How that happens, timeline, whatever, that's not their concern at the moment, but that's going to be their arguing point, because underneath it all, they they have their ulterior motive. We just spend less money. So... It's frustrating because it is going to be yet. It's going to be what happened last season playing out yet again, because there's nothing that they can't turn into a fight over money, because that's all Major League Baseball cares about at this point. And it's worth noting too that for for as much as I think owners, you know, some owners are probably going to complain or have complained and will continue to complain, you know, that they took a bath on this season, or financially they're in dire straits or whatever it is. Well, they I lost billions of dollars. Boys, I don't know if you saw that in Philadelphia. They lost billions. Well, I was, they lost billions, yet they hired Dave Dombrowski, who is <laughs> singular talent, not singular, but his greatest talent is spending other people's money. So mm. I'm not really sure what's going on in Philly, but I don't think anyone knows what's going on in Philly. Point uh, being, I know what's though, going that, on. Can you, can you call on me? Uh, the rebuild didn't go well, so they're like, fuck it. The rebuild's over. We're going to hire the one guy who uh, we know is over the rebuild and we'll just trade whatever prospects we have remaining and try and salvage whatever we have left which here. Is, which is funny on its own because Philly doesn't have prospects to trade. No, they don't. That farm system is terrible. Um, but with regards to Major League Baseball, um, what you're, I mean, and for as much as you're going to hear owners complaining about the, the money they lost and the financial difficulties they're in, uh, when Scott Boris did his, I guess, you know, it's usually at winter meetings, but I guess we'll just call it annuals. It's what technically winter meetings did his, uh, you know, state of the game press conference where he just uses a bunch of bad metaphors. You know, he did make the very salient point that it's not that owners lost money. They lost profits. All of them still made money to some degree or another. Yes. All of their team valuations remain exactly the same, if not better. No, no one has lost anything. Right. It's just that they missed out on making more money. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the, and I think that's going to be the background for this fight. Again, it's, not so much we don't want to lose money, it's we don't want to miss out on making more money while also having to pay less of it to uh to our to our players. So yeah, I don't I it's gonna be ugly. I guarantee it's gonna be ugly. It is always ugly now at this point. Turns out when you put um MLB's main labor lawyer in charge of in charge of the league, what you end up getting is a lot of labor fights. What a surprise. Which naturally leads us to Hunter Renfro locking up the right field job in Boston this year. God, I hope not. I think that's the like plan, that's, right? He's going to be the everyday, everyday I, right fielder. See, I would hope not because Hunter Renfro makes way more sense as the uh, weak side of a platoon to demolish left-handers. And actually, weirdly enough, despite the fact he's just kind of a burly-looking dude, yeah, um, as a defensive as a defensive replacement too for a weaker defensive outfielder like say Andrew Benintendi. Mm. Um, because the nice thing is with 
Benintendi, or well, the way they have it right now, because you know Jackie Bradley Jr. is a free agent, and there's no guarantee. Sorry, there's no guarantee that he's going to resign. Future filling Jackie Bradley Jr. That actually would be fun for them, but um, Jackie. Regardless, so if your outfield alignment right now is. I mean, I guess you put Hunter Renfro into the starting lineup because before you signed him, your starting left fielder was... Benatendi. Uh, or well, Verdugo. Is it Verdugo or Benatendi? Well, well, I have to imagine you put Verdugo of the current group, so he needs to play center, except for the fact that right field in Fenway is brutally hard to play. Mm. I don't really know that you want Benatendi there, but Benatendi is worse in, the, in center than he is in the corners. But you also don't want Hunter Renfro playing every day because he's just not capable of doing that against right-handed pitchers for starters. And on top of that, you have a lineup where Bobby Dahlbeck and Michael Chavis are probably going to be playing semi-regularly. Like, that's a lot of empty at-bats that those three could pile up in a hurry. You know, is that really something that the Red Sox want to lock themselves into? I know it's a yet another rebuilding year or whatever, and so who cares to a certain degree. But, like, that does matter. You can't really build an offense where a third of it is just striking out all the time. Granted, when they're not striking out, they're hitting absolute bombs. But that's the thing. I don't really think Renfro makes sense as a starter. I think he makes sense as the fourth outfielder ahead of someone like Marcus Wilson, who I think was the fourth outfielder, or more Shavis. You know, I, I personally, as a Red Sox fan, and I would also feel as a baseball person, if I can call myself that, that I feel way better with Hunter Renfro as my fourth outfielder than Michael Chavis or, or Marcus Wilson. Those guys are, that's not really what you want there. And I, I understand Chavis too, there's that sense. And I know we're, we're going to talk about first base a bit. With Chavis, there's that sense of, well, you have to see what he is. You have to find out if he's actually part of your plan. Um, no offense to Michael Chavis, he's probably not part of your plan. He strikes out all the time. He's a good defender really at any position. His offense really would have to carry him, and it just doesn't really look like that's going to be the case. So at a certain point, like, well, I guess this is this is the this is the issue for the 2021 Red Sox, especially. What do you want to be in 2021? Is 2021 still just a basic rebuilding year, like kind of what they're doing out in San Francisco, where you just sign some cheap veterans and you know comb through waivers and minor leagues and try to get some low cost production? Are you actually going to start moving forward now and saying, okay, we've lowered payroll, we've, we've done what we wanted to do, and now we, now we start actually building. I, I, I can't say. I know I don't think it probably leans more toward the former than the latter at this point, but that's kind of, like, I think Hunter Renfro is probably a pretty good um, going to be. Yeah. I just... I don't think they're done, and I think they're going to do some more weird stuff. I really do think that they're going to look at the blue. So something that I think is going to be interesting, because if LeMahieu resigns with the Yankees, as it seems like Cashman has been very clear that is their top priority, and then you have the Blue Jays being ahead of schedule. You have the fact right. that the Orioles finished ahead of you last year, and fans are like, eh, this, this should never happen. And then you have the Rays, who... We'll see. There was a really good piece on ESPN.com today from Dave Schoenfield on uh, Blake Snell's trade value and where he could possibly go. And like packaging him with Kevin Kermeyer is actually probably the most uh, logical thing for the Rays. And the Rays, it seems like, are about to go into a very, like, they're <laughs> Rays fans, uh, the 13 of you. I, I hope you enjoyed this run because it seems like, based on Stuart's, what is his name, Sternberger, the principal, Stuart Sternberger, the owner, yeah, yeah. The principal owner of the Rays made it clear. 
uh, next five years, they're in trouble. Because guess what? The revenue sharing was not a part of uh, baseball this year, and it probably won't be next year. So the Rays are in a lot of trouble. And I think they are going... No, and, and, and that's... And that's been the thing forever with them is that, yeah. you know, there's no, there's almost no amount of success that makes the Rays actually behave like a functional team. Mm. Success just means that they have further to fall when they stop acting like a functional team. Yeah. And that's not Tampa Bay fans, but well, and it's funny, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the Rays and then you mentioned the Blue Jays too. Is part of the... Uh, part of the calculus in Boston is okay. We have the Yankees and the Rays definitively ahead of us. Yeah, no questions there. Even if the Rays take a step back, they're still better team. You also have a Blue Jays team. Is any real Blue Jays that's constructed right now are better? And then that's also a Blue Jays team that's probably going to add pieces too. So what you they're in on everybody. By Jeff Passan reported, they are in on everybody. Right. And so that's kind of the thing. It's like if they're in on everybody, they're probably going to make an ad somewhere in there. So you need to fix, so you need to decide for yourself as a, you know, if you're, if you're a fine bloom or if you're John Henry or, you know, the com- I guess the combination of all of them, how, you know, how do you want, what do you, what do you want to do knowing that these teams are ahead of you? Um, what does that make it less likely that you are going to, do something this offseason to kind of get yourself in better position to compete. And I think that the, in all likelihood that, you know, if you do look at those three teams ahead of them and you do accept, and I accept that like those three teams are better, then you've probably reached a situation where if you're Boston, where you're going to say, this is, this is rebuilding your number two. We're not going to spend a lot of money. We're not going to, cause we're not, we're probably not going to be a playoff. Team. You know, you have three teams in the, in the division alone ahead of you. Plus, um, whoever of Chicago or Minnesota loses the Central, and whoever Houston and loses the West, that's a lot of competition. It's not great competition. That's, I mean, this isn't like this isn't a situation where the American League is completely loaded and you have no shot. I, I really do think the second wild card team, or I guess we'll have to see what the extended playoffs look like. But I do think a 500 team probably makes the playoffs. It's just a question of who's it going to be and how much effort are they going to have to put into it, and does. You know, does Boston want to make that effort necessary? Because it's going to take more than Hunter Renfro and like, and geez, I don't know, like a, a Corey Kluber gamble. You know, it, it's going to take a little more than that. And I don't know if the Reds have the financial stomach for that. And so that's like why I said, like Renfro is kind of it's going to end up being kind of a, a good barometer, I think, because if the Red Sox do get through the offseason, obviously, just you know, they don't have other outfielders, and you've got your you got your answer right there as to what they plan on doing with 2021, and it's called wasting everyone's time. Hmm. I'm not bitter or anything. I, I can tell, John. I can tell. I'm so glad we had to do Red not, Sox not. today. Um, <sighs> is June realistic as a return date for Chris Sale? And if so, what do you expect from Chris Sale in 2021? I... I mean, it's Chris Sale, so I imagine he's probably like trying to figure out how to get a mechanical arm. He seems to be part of the Justin Berlin level of just insane people. Like when it comes to pitching, he just does not want to be hurt and wants to be pitching right away again. And I respect that. Well, that's why I don't he only eats seven meals though. a year. That's true. He he looks like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think June is. Re- I don't think there's. And that's kind of the other thing. If the Red Sox decide like they're going to push. I want to see him the season in some form or 
so that they can you know, get a sense of like, okay, what do we have going forward? Because he still has another counting season, four years and $115 million left on his contract. That's a lot of money to owe to a guy who may not be the same anymore. So you need to figure out sooner rather than later, how much, how much of Chris Hill are you getting back at this point? But I don't think he's back in June because I just don't think the Red Sox are going to be in the race at that point, And I don't think there's going to be any real push to get him back. Now, there is a certain possibility that if there is no minor league season for whatever reason, or if the season is shortened or whatever it is, you know, maybe that calculus changes. And he's, you know, he doesn't really have anywhere to pitch or rehab and they figure, okay, we'll just get him up as soon as possible. So we can start getting a, a, an idea now, but without, with all those caveats noted, I, I don't think he's back in June only because I just don't, I don't really see the Red Sox wanting to take that risk of pushing him. Um, when they're not really going to be playing for anything, more likely than not. Hmm. Um, we talked about the outfield depth a little bit, but when you when you examine it, and it seems like this is now becoming a common issue with the Red Sox, it's almost like if they had had um, picture like a top five MVP perennial MVP guy in right field or in the outfield in general, depending on what happens to Jackie Bradley with Ben Attendee, with Verdugo would not exist in this idea. But like, what if you had somebody like that, that you could solve this depth issue where you don't have to take a flyer on Hunter Renfro, where you don't have to do that. You can just have that player in their prime for the duration of their prime. Imagine if you had something like that, because that is something that I'm just really concerned about the Red Sox, especially in right, is that they have no outfield depth and they have not really done much to address it in the last two years. Do you think that is to to pay homage and pay respect to the guy that uh, remedied that depth situation in Boston? I was going to say, you're trying to get me to hang up for an hour. <laughs> I was just waiting for that bit to end because like, the moment you started talking about the outfield, I was like, I know where this is going. <laughs> I know exactly where this is going and how angry it's going to make me. The truth is that the stupid thing is at this point that the Mookie bets trade, at least on like a, like there's still a, a ways to go between here and there. And obviously like I would much rather have Mookie bets than not have Mookie bets. And I think that's true of every general general manager in baseball, except for some damn reason I know, but to give him credit that quite honestly, I don't really feel like giving. Verdugo has, tur- has turned out very well. And there's obviously still a lot of different he's had chronic back problems before and that's really terrifying and he's had some off the field stuff that is also deeply concerning but at the same time if those are no longer issues or if those are yeah if those are no longer issues and he got themselves a really good player Verdugo had a great season last year he's still just 24 years old he's a very good defender he's got power he's got plate patience like you know you want to see a few more things and he hits a lot of ground balls um, which I, I think is probably part of the point but there's a lot of room to grow. Now, granted, there's a lot of room to grow so that in four years he can get traded for someone else that's cheaper than him. But still, at least in terms of return, that has gone better than I think most fans, myself included, would have predicted. And that's to say nothing of whatever they get out of Jeter Downs or Connor Wong, the other two pieces they got, especially because it looks like Downs. I mean, granted, it's a thin system, but he's a position player in it. Um, it's either him, Tristan Casas, or Jaron Duran. But especially because, and I know this is something that was going to come up, is Downs' future home is almost certainly second base. He's a shortstop now, but 
between Xander Bogarts being there and most evaluators, I think, feeling like Downs is just a better fit at second, he really does help, if he makes it, shore up a position that has been a total hole for the Red Sox ever since Dustin Pedroia got first back in 20, I want to say 16, but I, I can't remember. It's been a while now. And for right now either. I think that the current rotation there is probably some combination of Christian Arroyo, uh, a former prospect who just never really panned out, uh, maybe they call up C.J. Chatham, who was a first-round pick back in 2016. Uh, you know, maybe I, I don't really know who else kind of fits into that. It, it also depends what they do with the rest of the with the rest of the winter. I personally think like a guy like Colton Wong would make a ton of sense for them. It's like a one or two, as a one-year stopgap. You know, he's a great defender. He's all right hitter. You know, he's a, you know plays with the plays with a lot of energy. Definitely a good guy to have in your lineup, in your in your on the field for sure. But that's not a so that's not a position that they really have a long term solution for beyond down at the moment. So the Mookie Betts trade, at least in terms of on field return, may end up being better than we actually expected. Of course, the big problem is why Mookie Betts got traded in the first place, and that's something that I hold my breath about going forward because you know when. If you're not going to spend on Mookie Betts, and I know we've had this conversation a million times, so we're going to have it for the millionth and first. If you're not going to spend on Mookie Betts, who the hell are you going to spend money on? That's that's kind of what, what what I just keep circling on. For everyone who says, "Oh, but once you know, once now that the payroll is lower, John Henry's going to spend money again." On who? Who? If he didn't think Mookie Betts was worth the money, who is? They're not going to sign J.T. Romuto. They're not going to sign George Springer. They're not going to sign Trevor Bauer. Those guys are not going to come to Boston because it's not going to pay for them and also because Boston's not a team that's in a position to win unless they sign all three of those guys. So what, what – I guess that's kind of – it's not just what is the plan with regards to – that all depends on how draft, how you develop, what you pull off. Does trading Mookie Betts mean that John Henry is just not going to spend as much anymore? You know, is is the payroll that they ran when they won the World Series, which is just north of two hundred million, I think somewhere in that two hundred to two hundred twenty million dollar range, is that ever going to happen again? And that's probably a bigger question for baseball in general. Like, what does this what does this sport look like now that nobody, with the exception of uh, the Mets, now it seems like wants to spend? Which, boy, let's think about that for a minute. But at least for, when it comes to Boston, like. Again, if you're not going to pay for Mookie Betts, then who are you going to pay for? Is this, is this just going to be a team that now runs on like a $150 million payroll or even less? And if they contend and win with that payroll, great. And if they don't, well, well, there's always next year. Because that feels to me like the like the the mindset in Tampa just minus $100 million. You know, you always get the sense that in Tampa, the budget comes first and everything else is just kind of the after effect. It's, well, if we can win a World Series while only spending $60 million, great. And if we don't, well just a game and i mean you don't hire the dude who used to run the rays unless you want to recreate the rays and certainly that's played out really well in los angeles with andrew friedman but i don't ever get this not ever but like because certainly a dodgers ownership has has you know has pinched pennies quite a bit but at the same time dodgers ownership never got rid of its best player in the process to save money and I think that's kind of the dividing line is can you really be as good a team as you can be if your ownership is not willing to pay for the players and make that happen? And that I would really love to know because that's really going to determine.
Otherwise, Heim Gluten has a lot of work to do. That farm system is pretty thin. Uh, there's not a lot of great under 30 players on that team, with the exception of Bogarts and Raphael Devers. Um, and they're they're called Edwin Rodriguez. Um, Darwin's and Hernandez has released potential. Jeter Downs up, but he's on the team right now. Has good all-star potential. Verdugo. But that's and and then maybe Ben and Pendy, who's just an enormous question mark at this point. But that's really kind of it. It's not a bad base, but it's not a particularly one. So Bloom's got a lot of work to do, and is he going to have to do it with one hand tied behind his back with an owner who's just going to be like, "Sorry, man, I don't feel I don't feel like spending in free agency anymore. I want four titles since I bought this team. What do I need a fifth for? You know, is this just an investment opportunity for John Henry now? Sure seems like it. Who was on first and who was on second for the Red Sox this year? So I think second we've, we've on that I maybe you can throw Shavis into that mix at second, although I don't think he's that defensive down. There there are a number of guys who can probably depending on how um Alex Cora wants to handle that, he can probably cycle through. And I think ultimately they're all just keeping the seat warm for downs anyway. First is probably a uh, a div, uh sorry, a competition at this point. Mm-hmm. Shavis and Novak. And I have uh, probably they feel like he has a higher ceiling. Famous to me feels like ability kind of made a field and is kind of a jack of all you really want to, I don't think you really want Shavis as a starter. I don't know if you want Dahlbeck as a starter either because he has the same problem Shavis does with regards to pitch selection, pit and plate, plate patience, the plate discipline rather. But I think that because Dahlbeck is younger too, um, I think that they probably, he probably, I think it probably behooves the Sox to give him a shot first. But I think ultimately it's probably going to be some combination of those two at first base. You know, maybe it's just, maybe it's an open string training competition and whoever has the hottest hand gets the job at least at first, but you know, there's always a chance they could change their mind or whatever it is. So I think that's probably, I mean, the, the right side of the Red Sox in the field is going to be bad. It's just going to be there. It's going to be two below average hitters, regardless of who it ends up being, who are probably also going to be below average defenders. So, but in both cases, and because and, I mentioned Tristan cases too, I mean, he's only 19 and he's lost the whole year development, which is really bad because of the pandemic. But he is the long-term hope at first base, I imagine. So really, in both of those cases, I think it's just guys keeping seats warm for the time being. And I don't really think either case Boston wants to invest long-term. I mean, it also depends how the draft plays out. You know, if there's a really big-hitting college player who can play either of those two positions, maybe not first base. But that's, I mean, they're going to have, I believe, the number seven or number six pick, whatever. A high, they're going to have a top-ten pick in this year's draft, or in the 2021 draft, rather. I don't know if you really spend a top 10 pick on a college first baseman unless he's like someone like Andrew Vaughn, who the White Sox took uh, years ago. But, you know, I, I think that those, those are two positions they're going to try to solve long term with younger players. And for the short term, for the time being, they're probably just going to cycle through whoever just happens to be there and whoever just happens to be cheap. Mm. To wrap up here, John, so you don't just yeah. throw your phone across uh, across New York. How long? How long do you estimate this this rebuild is going to take for Boston? Uh, minimum three years. I mean, like mm. I said, the farm system is both 
the farm system is both thin and lacking in, um, and it's lacking in high level players. Like there's just not a whole lot in the high minors beyond downs right now. And uh, depending how he handles double A next year, Brian Matta, who's their top pitching prospect. Everyone else is kind of further down the system. As I mentioned, Cases is only 19 or 20. Jaron Duran is very young. Um, Connor Wong, the catcher they got for, for Mookie Betts, obviously is going to need time to develop. Uh, they have a lot of really intriguing players down in Dominican, uh, or I guess what was the Dominican Summer League and Super Low A-Ball. Uh, I really recommend checking out, uh, let's do a fan grass plug, the, the top prospect list for the Red Sox before the 2020 season. You'll see what I mean. There's a lot of guys listed there who are years away from the majors if they ever get there at all, but who have a lot of really good tools. And I imagine when Fangraphs, when Eric Longenhagen does his new 2021 list, um, you'll probably see more of those names, or you'll probably see those names pop up. Maybe, you know, actually none of those names are probably going to change because there was no minor leagues. Regardless, um, I think it's, we're talking minimum three years because I just, um, if you're not going to spend and it doesn't really seem like the Red Sox are, maybe, I don't know, this doesn't seem like a reason to me, like what Texas and Colorado have been trying and failing to do forever. This feels like more of a typical rebuild. And so I think you have to build in three to five years um, to rebuild the farm system, get the prospects you want, have the guys who are already there, you know, kind of develop. The annoying thing, I think, if you're Boston is, well, some of those guys are already developed. Like, Peter Bogarts is ready now, and you've signed him long term. So are you just going to waste the next two years of his career? You know, you can argue, yeah, Devers, Verdugo, those guys, you know, Darwin's and Hernandez, any prospects who come up. They need time to develop, but you, but on the other hand, you've already got guys like Bogarts, like J.D. Martinez, who's had a terrible year, but is obviously still a great hitter. Sale, when he's healthy and, and, and back, um, you know, a couple other players on that roster who are ready right now. And so it's like, so what are we doing until then? You know, what is, what is, what is kind of the plan for now? Because I think the plan overall is, as with any rebuild, it's, okay, draft, develop, get cheap players, et cetera, et cetera. But... Until, until you get to that, what are you doing with the guys who are already there, who are already productive and useful to you? And I don't really think the Red Sox know, because I don't really think any of those guys have any. That's the other thing. None of these, except for, aside from Bogart, who again is signed to a long-term deal, and it makes no sense to move him because you also don't have a replacement for him. Who is being moved in that group? JD Martinez does not have trade value. He's a 34-year-old defensive or a designated hitter. Chris Sale coming off Tommy John on surgery does not have trade value. Matt Barnes does not have much trade value. He probably has the most out of anyone there. Uh, you're kind of in a position now where it's like, okay, well, we just have to wait. And so that's why I think like we're talking three years because there's no one really on this roster right now that you're going to move to get top prospects in return. So I don't really expect much better in 2021. I think they should be somewhat better because I just don't think it's possible to be as bad as that team was, especially pitching-wise. Although, to be fair, they've done nothing pitching-wise this winter so far, um, with the exception of letting Martin Perez go, who was quietly one of their better starters last year, which is literally a super low bar and also really depressing, but still true. They have a lot of innings they need to figure out because, you know, the, I mean, the rotation now is is Nate Yavaldi, Eduardo Rodriguez, if he's healthy, you're probably throwing Tanner Houck in there because yeah, if you start toward the end of the year and you want to see what's there with him. Um, sale at some point. Question mark. Like there, There's just a lot of question marks pitching-wise. But I, I think the 2021 team will probably be better, probably a little closer to competence 
I just don't think they're going to be a contender, especially you know given how tough the AL East is going to be. And I think it's probably going to be at least a couple of years before you really feel comfortable saying that the Red Sox are contenders again because they decided they just wanted to be cheap instead. Mm. Well, and by they, I mean John Henry. Sounds gloomy. Couldn't relate with this first place fandom going on down here. Yeah, you, you you definitely can't relate to a team that doesn't want to spend money. Well, hold on. Sure. Well, hold on. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about, John. I, I I know nothing of the sort. They just signed Charlie Morton, sir. Uh, they uh, they they're spending money. They are they're spending yeah, Charlie, those those money. Big Charlie Morton, Drew Smiley bucks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, couldn't couldn't be happier. Uh, John, thank you as always, friend. Where are we going next week? On uh, who do we have uh, left in the AL East? What is- well, we haven't. You've already done the Blue Jays, right? Yes, we did the Yankees, Red Sox. We, we haven't the done Yankees, the Rays. The Red Sox and the Orioles. We haven't done the Rays. We have not talked about the American League champion Tampa Bay Rays, which is a, right. still a kind of a weird phrase, even though it's now the second time I've heard in my life. Well, that is what we'll do. We'll do the Tampa Bay Rays next Tuesday. All right, we will do the Tampa Bay Rays and yell about the fact that they also don't want to spend money. No oh, one wants yeah. to spend money. <laughs> it's delightful. John love love major league baseball. It's a it's a great healthy sport that we all love. Um John, thank you as always my friend and uh we will talk next week. Sounds good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Every year, compliance regulations change thousands of times. And every year, ADP makes thousands of seamless platform updates so businesses can focus on everything else, like running their business. Grow stronger with ADP. HR, talent, time, and payroll.